Welcome to WP Tonic Roundtable Podcast, where a panel of leading WordPress junkies discusses the latest WordPress and internet stories of the week. Now, on with the show with your moderator, Jonathan Denwood. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show. This is episode 483. We record this every Friday at around 8.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's the 3rd of April. And um, I've got a very small panel. I don't know what's happened to the rest of them, but I've got a vocal panel. I'm sure we'll be able to provide some entertainment for you listeners and viewers. But before before we go into the main stories of this week, I want to talk about launch flows. And what is launch flows? Well, if you've got WooCommerce and you've got your favorite page builder, best that it should be Animator, um, launch flows enables you to build fantastic funnels. Funnels that can compete in the best on market. And it gives you great funnel building for your shopping cart funnels or any other type of funnel. So if that sounds interesting, go over to launchflows.com and use the coupon code WPTONICROCKS. I repeat that, WPTONICROCKS, and you will get 25% off the package, and that's a great deal, exclusively for you listeners and viewers on the WP Tonic show. You so, actually got first-hand knowledge of it yesterday. I was, I, very, did. You gave I, was very, I was very happy to say, after all this time, you were able to take some time yesterday and work uh, together with me on one of your client projects with it. And how did you feel it worked out for you, John? Well, you made it so you made it very easy. Um, but on reflection, it's extremely powerful system. Literally, with no just using the short codes and launch flows, you really can literally build with a page builder like Alimator, <coughs> you can literally build almost any kind of um shopping cart or funnel funnel environment that the client wants. It's it's great. Right. We're, we're sticking to that too. Elementor is like, uh, we're going to talk about that w, the WordPress 5.4 today maybe, but like yeah. Gutenberg being great, but man, that Elementor is, it's free and it's like, why, why not use it? Exactly. It's crack. It's crack it for coders and web designers. Whack. It's whack. So let's start, let's start with a story that Spencer put on our radar as we were actually, um, we were discussing uh, on our interview show, um, but sometimes we do an internal discussion, me and Adrian, yesterday. We recalled that on Thursdays. And um, we, a guest, un- unfortunately, had to drop out. So we did an internal discussion. And it was, a, it was about um, basically how do you protect your branding? What are the limits with, you know, with using WordPress? In, what should you do if somebody just totally copies <clears throat> A website and um, something came up on um, a couple of the um, Facebook groups around Learn Dash about something um, that had happened to Ancanny Owl, who produces a number of plugins in the Learn Dash environment. Want to tell us a bit more about the story, um, Spencer? Yeah, I mean, um, this just showed up in the LearnDash group where I'm a member. I don't think it's a locked group, so LearnDash LMS tips and tricks. Um, <clears throat> I thought it was interesting because 
And I don't know, I, I was busy yesterday when I sent you the links. Did you guys actually talk about it on your show yesterday? I know you were about to. Not directly. Uh, we, we, spoke, we spoke of it in kind of like a conceptual view, but not directly. Okay, good. So, so not to be as redundant. What was interesting to me about this is that we were discussing here last Friday and the Friday before how do as I say, not as I do for WordPress and Automatic when it comes to Jetpack. And we saw that Elementor's Pro update last week, 2.91 and 2, were pushing the boundaries with their crippleware, you know, the Pro plugin won't work after a certain registration time and so on and so forth if, if you're not phoning, phoning home and so forth. This is enough... <laughs> This is another bold move, which we're going to see more of, which is part of the evolution of any ecosystem, where Automate Woo had an existing plugin, which... Sorry, no, of- it's, it, it's Uncanny Automator. Fine, Uncanny Automator. It's not Automate Woo? No, it's, uh, so it's Uncanny Automator All right. All right. was I- the original. Uncanny, thank you for correcting me. And I apologize because there are some names that are overlapping and I'm, you know, I'm old and senile. For the Uncanny Automator, which was an established plugin, Ryan, <clears throat> who's the author, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> he had uh, unfortunately found himself uh, jigoshopped, which is to say that, and I don't want to misquote this, so make sure I'm correct, that the guys who came in are the Game of Press guys, isn't that right? Yeah, Game of Press. Right. Uh, uh, Garcia, I think, is the main founder or something. But the point is they came in and they essentially forked the plugin and they didn't clone the site. It was built separately, but it was very similar in the way it works and feels and talks about and so forth. So essentially they, they had a, a deja vu of WooCommerce coming in on Jigoshop minus the hiring away your staff. And the conversation was very sympathetic from, you know, the other people in the LearnDash community about like this really blows. But <laughs> you made a deal with the devil. And I am sympathetic to Ryan. And I'm also, because I had the benefit of hearing some of the direct questions from the guys who did this via my other tech support stuff, I heard their position. I do not feel that it was done with malice. I do not feel it was done to stick a fork in anybody's eye. But it was obviously done with full knowledge of how the GPL works. And so we're back to that really interesting conversation point, which is if you're going to play in WordPress and it's still GPL and the GPL is still going to be applied, who does it apply to? How does it apply? Who's going to enforce the rules? What's the consequence of your action? Because what we see is that people are fickle. The customers will now have to pick, and you made a very cogent comment, Adrian. They're going to have to pick which company supports the plugin the best, which gives the best esoteric add-ons, which is the one that takes the concept that these plugins are designed to, to, to solve as a pain point and support people. Because fair is fair. We're all doing that game show now of here's the ingredients in the freezer. You got three minutes to make a meal, impress the judges. And that's that was my take on it, which was Nobody came back and said, oh, my God, this is illegal or oh, because it's not. Everybody, even Ryan, sort of accepted. Eh, They kind of they followed the rules. It's sort of sad and it feels douchey, but it's not. It's just the way it is. The, 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 The harm is mostly emotional at this point when something like this happens, because as a developer, you pour 
X amount of effort and X amount of emotion and many thousands of dollars in research and development into creating a product that is useful to people. And then GPL, someone can usurp that and just be like, hey, thanks for putting in all of that effort. I am, as of this moment, not nearly as highly invested as you in, but I am going to attempt to reap the same rewards that you have based on the work that you put in. So that is like emotionally damaging. And it's it's just like super tough. But that's the that's the GPL game. Now, I have it on good authority and good advice that when something like this happens, you know, as far as Uncanny Automator is concerned, other players in the space exist, basically like WP Fusion and very few others, right? And they and maybe the other ones are just like, they do one specific thing while Uncanny Automator does like a whole host of connecting other plugins to other plugins to other plugins, much like WP Fusion does. So there's only like really like these two plugins in the space. So uh, WP Fusion has a very limited user base. Uncanny Automator has a, a similarly sized user base. But as each of these plugins continues to grow... The, what happens is that each player in the space spends money and spends their time educating the customer, like potential customers, to grow everybody's user base. So while as like painful and shitty in the short term as it is for Uncanny Automator, and my thoughts go out to Ryan, I actually spoke to him uh, very briefly on LinkedIn, and you know I, I kind of spelled out this like very you know long-winded silver lining is that more competitors in the space are inevitably a good thing and only seek to expand your own customer base and educate more potential customers. And like Spencer said, it now it's a question of who can take this product further. You know, WooCommerce and Jago Shell, obviously the answer to that was WooCommerce. They knew that they could do something amazing with it and they didn't want to play by the other guy's rules. So they're like, you know what? We're going to play the game. And they rolled the dice and they ended up winning. So now the question is, who is going to play the game better? And who is going to bring this product to the next level where it's able to help more and more and more people? Yeah. And you're right about one thing, which you picked up on immediately, which is, you know, you can look at things one way or the other. But Jack the other day had it discovered, which is no big deal, that the uh, WFusion's paid products ended up in some nulled, a site. And I'm not talking about GPL Vault, which I don't think is in the same category, but in one of those nulled clubs where they had really altered the code. All premium kind of, plugins, $25. Yeah, but not like, again, I say this not to be wise guy to Jonathan, but like there's some one or two that you can for sure trust. And then there's the illegitimate ones, but the illegitimate one is where it showed up. And the point was, Jack is, we converse about this often. He and I and other people who have this conversation are well aware, and I know you feel the same, that look, there's a, like a certain badge of honor that you've achieved a level of notoriety or notice that somebody would bother to fork your stuff. But then it does come back. There are certain characters in our very small but large community who are known for their thing. This is the thing, like an actor or an actress, right? The, oh, this is a Vin Diesel movie. Oh, the, I know what to expect. It's Tom Hanks. Oh, I know what to expect. Certain people in this space... I say, Yoast, what do you immediately think of besides, you know, wild parties? You think of SEO, right? And you think of Pippin, you think of EDD or uh, Affiliate WP. The point is you have to accept that if you're going to go into a space like this, which is marketing automation, there will be the second person who follows you because clearly the, 
the guys for Uncanny Automated were the pioneers for what they do. It is slightly different than WP Fusion, but admittedly, it's in the let's do automation kind of stuff within WordPress. And Jack and I discuss all the time, well, what's going to happen when somebody forks WP Fusion? And we fall back to the same thing, which is I say, what if somebody forked, you know, launch flows or, you know, like I could have written launch flows to be just like card flows, but I didn't. The point is, because I don't think, and I think that's what Ryan maybe will understand if he doesn't already. This is just your ticket to the show. This is like your audition pass. You make the plug and you pour your sweat and tears into it so that people want to have a relationship with you and your company. And so the lesson that I take away from all this is that we've passed the days of, listen, Stu McLaren was one of the founders of WordPress plugins when he had Wishlist Member and it was all locked up with this protection of ion cubic coder. Stu has moved on, but that plugin that's come back is no longer locked up with ion cube encoder for good reason. You can't have plugins locked up. They won't let you get away with it anymore. And so if you come in with the notion that somehow all my work for the code is going to be protected, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. And so when we look at what's going to happen, long story short, there's going to be more consolidation. And what we're going to end up with is kind of like old school network TV or Coke and Pepsi or McDonald's, Burger King, you know, Wendy's, you're going to have three, four, five, six different packaged channels that are really ubiquitous, like the GoDaddy channel or the, the, the WP Engine channel, if they get it together or something. And they will all essentially deliver the same stuff, but there'll be slight differences, right? One's going to have this plugin for the automator or the CRM, and one's going to have this for the Learn Dash versus the Lifter. And it's a matter of who's going to support it. Yep. Well, on to story two, which should change. Before, before we move on, I do have I do have one more thought on the subject. Yeah. And if you're a plugin author and you know you don't want this to happen to you, you don't want to be forked, and you don't want to have the fruits of your labor usurped and and whatnot, there is a protection that you can that there is a protection that you have. It's not legal. It's not you know GPL kind of like loopholes. It's none of that stuff. It's not litigation. Um, but it's a product choice. And the choice you can make is to have a software as a service component of your business that the, your main plugin is dependent on in order to serve its function. That way you can host your code elsewhere on another server and give the WordPress site just like, hey, listen, here's the data that the client provided me. Do whatever you want with it and then return whatever the response is. And then WordPress can go on and do as WordPress does. Well, well, there's an alternative to that as well, which is, and I'm not against that, but that's also what we're talking about, that we're going to be pushing the limits of the GPL soon because Elementor does that. Software as a service is essentially the phone home. In order for this thing to function as it's intended or to keep functioning, you need an ongoing membership. In Elementor's case, that's the templates. But the point is there's even in the in, in the plugin like some widgets, like the, yeah. the, the form widget, they just cease to function properly or there's some issue of if you moved it, it would stop being there. The, the light version of the same thing, because I do agree that that's where it's going to go and the GPLs are going to have to bend for this. I don't see how it's going to happen. Is I am doing that with launch flows. <clears throat> launch flows, let's say, you could get the plugin for free and build all the stuff you want. But if what you're getting is a whole library of other crazy shit or the, the training or the personal services, like whatever else you do, if that's inside of your membership WordPress site, 
it doesn't matter if somebody rips off the plugin because ultimately the things that they really want that are sexy and important are still going to require them to have an active membership at your WordPress site. And so it's not the same as phoning home, but it's definitely one of those, if I don't hear from you and you don't bother me and you got my plugin, I don't care anyway. It's just a bunch of bits and bytes in the universe. The only thing that bothers us as developers is when people try to get service and support from us for free. That takes my time, right? Like if there's a billion copies of, of Groundhog, who cares? You don't know where they're at. It doesn't bother you a bit. It's when people call you with ridiculous questions in the, you know, your office hours and you're like, do you have a registered copy? Do I know who you are? Are you paying me for this time? You know, that's what's important. And I see yeah. that's Right, on to story two, and I changed it a bit. Um, it's, it's a combination of story from two from the tavern and it's WordPress 5.4. Um, how do you pronounce it? Adelay, um, includes improved editor, new blocks, developer APIs, and the proposal to update the WordPress coding standards for modern PHP. So, um, Adrian, what do you think of 5.4? What have you seen of it? Um, I, uh, I mean, mostly it's editor improvements in Gutenberg, and I don't use, I mean, I do. Uh, I use Gutenberg for my academy and blog posts and stuff but not nearly enough to certainly kind of like validate the amount of effort that I'm sure went into making it better, uh, which is definitely there. And I use Elementor for all of my actual like website design and pages and and whatnot. Um, I do have a few thoughts on the coding standards though. I, uh, having developed Groundhog, basically went into it with like legacy coding standards in mind, um, adopted from kind of like WordPress old school. And then I started building Elementor extensions for Groundhog. And I saw the the coding standards that they were using. And I'm like, that looks way better. So I reformatted a lot of our code in order to adopt brand new coding standards, like using namespaces uh, and certain file naming conventions and doc naming and doc, DHB doc conventions and lots and lots and lots of stuff. And it is just a better way to write code. I think, I truly believe that updating coding standards to more modern formats that we now have with PHP 7172734 is coming, right? All of those things are providing developers with a much superior toolkit that is not being enforced. So when a new developer enters the community, they're kind of looking at stuff that was made in like, you know, WordPress 3.0 days, 3.1 days. And when they have this finished product, it's still being accepted because, you know, it works. But when other people are working with it, it's super difficult to follow and understand. And you're like, what the hell is that syntax? I don't understand because it's moved so much further on since then. Mm. I I am all for updating coding standards or at least providing more education to new WordPress developers on how to make their plugins future-proof. And I think that's something valuable and a valuable discussion to, uh, or a valuable discussion to continue on into the future. What do you reckon, Spencer? Well, I mean, there's the front end stuff that matters to everybody. And then there's, a, I can comment a little bit on the back end stuff because I don't consider myself a full blown developer. I consider myself a like a home handyman level developer. And I've written dozens of plugins and I've learned or taught myself and taught others object oriented programming. But I'm no Justin Tadlock or, you know, like Mike Jolly and not in a million years. The point is that I agree that 
WooCommerce is my specialty. So now I've seen in WooCommerce, the way that they handled that was actually very clever. So if you have your developer tool set on and you have, let's say, you know, um, to debug true, um, if you use an, a deprecated function, they don't stick their thumb in your eye right away. They essentially give you a warning that says, hey, this is deprecated. There's a new way to do things. And that allows you to kind of like go through your plugins that you're authoring and fix them on the fly, which is, I think, a reasonable way to do it. The minimum standards of the PHP 7 and so forth, that I think is difficult for a lot of the end users because many of them are on hosting where they don't have the access or knowledge of to switch their server to go from even 7.1 to 7.2, let alone three or you know higher. So I think it would be a mistake if they really forced all the old 5.6 point stuff to break. That would be bad. But at the same time, I do like the idea of like WooCommerce for the developers throwing up obvious warnings for anybody coding. Hey, get your shit together and follow these new standards so that when we do shut the lights off, you won't be left. On the front end of Gutenberg or on the developer, uh, sorry, on the uh, user interface of Gutenberg, I'm encouraged by the move that they realize that they're trying to be something rather than the other thing. Now, it seems to me that they're trying now to be a page builder mm-hmm. and not an editor. However, that requires them to take a couple more steps, which would make it even better. Now, this is like, obviously, they're putting some thought into it. Um, Elementor has a very strong method if you create a template that it's a template versus a template applies to a page or a post type, right? Gutenberg right now doesn't have that metaphor as far as I can tell. In other words, a page or a post is a page or a post and you design in line and that's it. So there's no separation model that I can see, although you can save certain things as blocks or groups of blocks. There's no model of saying like, I'm specifically designing a layout here to be used again and again on any particular page or post. I think that's something that would be helpful if they are committing to it not being an editor, but being a a page builder. Because without that, I'm left with these problems of, I got to make a page and save it in Gutenberg as a quote unquote template, but not show it to anybody. So I have to hide it from search and hide it from indexing and weird shit like that. Yeah, that's true. Right, on to the next story, um, and that's Zoom faces privacy security backlash for its surges in popularity. Was this, was this Spencer, was this just inevitable with, with just the amount of exposure the company because of the virus? And I mean, this, the is, this, is, yeah, this is a no-brainer. You shake up a snow globe in the world, somebody pops up to the top that was like hiding under a rock, and huge dollars start to show up because they're so popular. Well, <laughs> in a, in a yeah. like, there was a scene in Risky Business where Guido the killer pimp takes all of Joel's stuff and then he goes to sell it back to him, right? Well, in the earlier part of the movie, when he talks to Joel, he says, in a sluggish economy, never F with another man's livelihood, right? Well, in a sluggish economy like now, don't be Zoom, Unless you have good lawyers, because the bottom line is everybody's going to crawl out from under a rock and sue you because now you've got all the money and you've got the attention. By the way, worthy of mentioning that I did try out that new um, alternative to Zoom. Mm-hmm. I forgot what we called it. Uh, S-S-O. The, I'm, I'm getting old and senile. I don't have it on my desktop, but I, I gave it as the link. I'll show it again. It was brilliant. It was great. 
I'll, I'll come up with it in a second. And what I want to say is that Zoom, just like in, the, I mean, let's be honest, just like in the, the Ryan story about, you know, forking his plugin, Zoom is no longer going to be Zoom and then everybody else. It's going to be everybody else, like 20 versions of Zoom. And very quickly, because now the market has demonstrated the huge demand for that. So while they're winning now, it's the tortoise and the hare story. They'll get bogged on in lawsuits. They'll get bogged on in competitors. It'll be a feature, you know, battle. And everybody will win who's the end user. But Zoom is going to have to pay the price for being the pioneer of breaking out. Yeah. Yeah, in a way. You know, I I think Skype did a lot of that as well when before they were bought out by Microsoft and they've literally done nothing with it, you know, you know, they would argue against that. But what do you reckon, Agent? I you know, I have to agree with Spencer in some way where they've literally, you know, as as a result of everybody having to work from home, you know, everybody's using Zoom and now they have a whole new verb. It's called Zoom bombing. Where yeah. you can just, you know, type in a random string of characters into the password and join a random chat room. You right. don't know who it is and they don't know who you are. And it, that's, you know, that's, that's an issue. Right. It's screen.so. Screen.so. Thank you. Um, there, now that it, the, the apparent need for conferencing software, I mean, it's always been around and there are plenty of companies that do face-to-face screen conferencing. Zoom just happens to be kind of like the colloquial one with a really easy-to-remember name, right? And a very short URL that's easy to type into a browser that's also doing radio advertising. As As the market for this continues to grow and more people go remote and less people return back to the office when all of this is over, the price war the future war, all of that will kick into high gear as companies basically clamor to retain as many potential customers as they can as people travel back to the office or don't. Um, There's a finite number of people who work in the world and more people work and more people stop working every single day. In Canada, the boomer population is the fastest growing population. The, uh, The people above 65, anybody who's retired, so people who are no longer in the workforce, growing pop, most growing, fastest growing population in Canada. So the work population is literally shrinking. So it'll be a, a question of companies clambering to retain as many customers as they can as new ones come on board and, you know, encouraging companies. You know, here's, a, here's an interesting thought. You know, the winner will be the person or the company that convinces companies to go remote. <laughs> not necessarily those who go remote, but convincing companies that working remote using their platform is a good idea. I mean, that's going to change the corporate culture anyway, because if you think about it, the complaints in this article are about Zoom's lack of security. But the intention of Zoom was never that anybody would have a reason to know that they could come in and bomb your, your site. Now, I use it for customer support calls, and I don't set the lobby feature necessarily. So I do have this problem, which... It's funny, but it's like kind of works in my favor because it makes me look like I'm so busy. Where we come to the end of a, a paid consultation hour, and I have to say to the people, like, I'm sorry, I gotta wrap it up. Somebody else is gonna show up in the room. And they're like, ha ha ha. And then boom, somebody shows up. It makes me look busy, but it's really bad because I have to kick them out and say, oh, come back in five minutes and so on. I think this is just a growth problem where the people are complaining about 
you had a gumball machine that gave out free gumballs. And I don't know if that's safe because who should get blah, blah, blah. Well, that's not what it was designed for. So part of the growth process is acknowledging that there will be security type protocols that companies have to use a different product or maybe Zoom will make a different product. Well, it's also also this endless discussion between a Swiss army knife approach and a precise scalpel approach. And it's it's an ongoing because um, Shane from Five Wings recently did a fantastic series about webinars software, and I'm consulting at the present moment with a client about what mixture of platform we're going to use for a webinar. Um, but also, he wants to do group coaching as well. So I've come to the conclusion that Zoom is. I use Zoom webinar for my podcasting, but for really high-end marketing-focused webinars, it's probably not the best tool. But for group coaching, I still think it's the best. So I suggested that we look at a mixture of Zoom with Webinar Jam, right? Because he's got a very large um, community and his first webinar, he's going to have well over 100 seats so but i was thinking about this you know you know because um zoom does a lot you know you've got the webinar add-on you've got meeting rooms they expanded into telephone that they're, they're expanded and it's a great product but it's a it's a swiss army knife isn't it yeah because the the benefit of zoom versus a skype remember is that zoom is a place that everybody can meet you can go and use things like a peer.in or other browser-based instant chats, but there's also alternative to Skype where you actually have two people can call each other, right? You can, um, what's the, I can use it on my phone where people don't, I'm so old, God damn it. What is this called? The one where you I, got, can, I got you up early, didn't I, really, for this podcast. I appreciate you appearing. No, it's fine. But anyway, there's alternatives to Skype. I have one on my phone that I have to call my pal on. Yep. who doesn't have a phone for some reason. Those are the ones that are obviously private, but they're a pain in the tuchus because you can't tell somebody in advance to use it unless they sign up for an account and they have to be all ready to go and blah, blah, blah. Whereas the other ones are browser-based or a small download. And so I think it does balance out the needs of, look, you're not going to stop the lawsuits or the complaints about privacy, but Call it what it is, right? If you've got a place that in two seconds a, a newbie can come join you for a video screencast and that's the product's feature, then why are we complaining about the fact that that's not private? Because just, just don't go there. Exactly. Just don't use it. Right? It's, it's at the core of my business and it's made an enormous difference to how internally, externally I run my business. So thanks, Zoom. That's all I've got to say. We're going to go for a break and we come back. We've got a couple more stories. Are you a WordPress consultant, designer, or small digital agency owner? Then you need WP Tonic as your trusted white-label developer partner for your next big e-learning or WooCommerce project. WP Tonic has the knowledge to help you build out custom functionality that your clients need in LearnDash, Lifter LMS, and WooCommerce. WP Tonic is well-known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with a full, no-question-asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Find out how WP Tonic's white-label services can help your agency today. Go to wp-tonic.com's homepage and book a free consultation with Jonathan. That's wp-tonic, 
just like the podcast. We're coming back, folks. Before going into the stories, I want to talk about one of my other main sponsors, which I don't normally do, but I want to talk about Kinster because I got a really nice email from Tom, uh, the Chief Financial Officer, and from the Kinster crew um, with their with their quarterly check, which is much appreciated. Uh, but they also asked me how I was doing, how my family was doing, and it just shows the quality of the company, actually. They have been such a blessing to work with and their support for the WP Tonic um, podcast is much appreciated. And hopefully I've shown that appreciation with my dog fastness support of Kinster Hosting. So if you've got a client that's looking for really great hosting for their uh, WooCommerce or for their uh, membership website or for yourself, I suggest that you go over to Kinster, look at one of their plans, sign up, but also tell them that you heard about them on the WP Tonic show. So on to um, another story. Um, Growing from freelancer to agent owner by Matt Adams. Did you two at all had time to listen to this? I didn't listen to it. I browsed the article. I mean, it's interesting stuff. The takeaway, like the TDLR is really simple. (laughs) Like, you just have to have a focus and a niche because if you don't, you're not going to go anywhere. So it's, it's not enough to sort of say, look, we're just going to do like random things for people. The reason that they were able to build an agency or Matt was able to do it was essentially like focusing on doing specialized stuff. And to the certain extent, that's logical, even if you're a freelancer, right? I mean, Jonathan, you and I talk about it all the time. You have a very specific type of niche client, which makes it easier for you to say, well, look at the ones I've done. If every one of the client sites I've worked with before are all the same, it starts to become like, oh, I can trust you. Versus a discussion about esoteric stuff, which is what's the differentiator between one person that knows how to use WordPress and another? It's like, are you a $5 an hour person in the Philippines or are you an expert that's getting paid $500 an hour for marketing advice? I don't know because you don't really have a focal point. And I think in the world we live in, like getting back to the original story, right? If you had a choice today and you were trying to go as many people are from my regular gig to a freelance or if I'm going to grow this, pick the smallest circle inside the smallest circle inside the smallest circle inside the smallest circle like a Russian doll. Because at least then you can be known as the guy or girl who does that. And that will become in a way when they say Yoast of your name, that will be what you're known for. And for at least the subset of people willing to pay you, it will allow you to charge a premium for the services that you offer versus I do web stuff with web things that look like web related, you know, nice. That's just too, who cares? I got, I got, I got that for free already at wordpress.com. Yeah, I've kind of it's covered territory, but I didn't think it was a badly written post, and um, I listened to a bit of the podcast part of it, and I thought it wasn't too badly. But I totally agree. You got to find it's a strange old world, listeners and viewers, because when you, but when you are built up long term relations with clients. You tend to get draw, drawn in on the agency level. And I'd be interested if Agents agrees with this, with working with his father's agency and his own agency work. As you build up um, trust with clients that have 
reasonable budget so they can re- keep working with you or they've got enough work to keep re- working with you so you build that trust you find you're kind of um asked about all sorts of stuff and you get involved in all sorts of stuff don't you adrian that's a bit of an understatement <laughs> um for anybody that's not familiar before Groundhog, I worked with my father in his digital marketing agency here in Toronto, which is actually where I am now. Uh, we share the building with them at this point. Um, I worked with him for six years doing all kinds of fun and amazing things for businesses in every niche you could possibly think of. We had a dog food company, uh, you know, e-commerce out in the boonies. We had uh fishing blogs. We had, we were very not niche specific. The reason that we were moderately successful in not defining a niche. And by the way, this is not a recommendation to do what we did. I would highly recommend finding a niche. It'll be much easier. Um, But the reason we were moderately successful in doing that was because we had a very specific way of, of getting clients. And that was through not necessarily just be by being an agency, but my father is an entertainer at heart. And we would uh, often go to uh, live events and he'd be the keynote speaker. And that is how we built a client list and people would come through that. We also had a very specific way of having clients pay the, our top dollar bill 30, between 30 and $50,000 project. Um, then that involved a lot of grant money from the government because there was a very specific, you could get like grant money from the government for like up to 80% of project cost if you were training employees. And then we did a lot of agent, our agency work from the perspective of actually training their employees because the name is Training Business Pros and we were a training company. And that is how we were able to kind of like develop our agency business based on previously being a training company. By doing that, we gave ourselves a lot of heartache and by servicing so many different types of niches and businesses that all have different needs and wants and desires and ways of doing things and sales processes and egos, uh, it was very difficult to keep up. Burnout was common and uh, it's hard to service so many different types of people when you, when you want to do like a one-size-fits-all thing and you want to provide them all with a cohesive marketing and sales process by doing stuff that you know works for every single business. Deep down, every single business says, well, my business is inherently different than somebody else's business, right? Just because it worked for X dog food company does not mean it's going to work for my, you know, my deck building company, right? They're different. So how could they possibly be the same? So you need to do all of these different things and you can't just give me what you gave them. And like, but you know the the bare like the structure of the marketing is always the same, and it's like no, it's not. No, no matter how much like expertise or stuff you have, there that that is just an arguing point because you're not serving the same set of clients. If you go niche specific and you define a certain type of client that you want to service, then that conversation, yes, there's still going to be a few things that are different, and like, well, it's not you know I'm different. I'm a dog food company, and I'm different than X dog food company. But the conversation will be significantly easier because they all want the same result at that point, which is I want more business, right? And it's like, well, we've implemented this strategy using the same set of tools and resources that you have. So it's not, you know, a super huge step to acknowledge that maybe it's a good idea. When you're servicing multiple businesses and multiple different types and niches of businesses, 
that conversation is not necessarily as easy. And it mm. takes a lot more education time in order to convince someone that your expertise is actually what it is, expertise. And I know in Northern Nevada, there's a particular one agency that's over 100 people. And it's a mixture of Northern Nevada and government quasar um, government work and subcontracting work from the Bay Area. But when you get between 50 and 100 people, the amount of pressure to get work in, get it done, get it out the door, you know, the constant struggle of um, finding the cash flow for for payroll, you know, it, it's endless. So I don't want to go down that road. So I've gone on a retainer, a freelance, where I have a group of people that I try and build relationships with that I feel that, you know, I they're on the same wavelength as me. And that's that's the road I've gone down, and I'm much happier about going down that road. Uh, and if, if you, and by the way, I want to just add because I follow a couple well-known uh, agency starters or have good podcasts and stuff. And the, the dirty secret of agencies, and it's not a secret of those of us in the business, is that the profit margin <laughs> is in the single digits, the low single digits. Often, it's not. It's not great. It's a lifestyle business, is what it is. Right versus. And, and this is what, this is where, you know, I can go reach back to my own personal, when I used to teach 1WD freelancers. It's like, think about where you want to be at the end of your journey when you built what you built. And is that what you really want to be doing? Because even in the real world businesses, I was a trial attorney and otherwise, many of my peers who stayed with it have built these amazing practices of 50, 60, 80 lawyers working for them. They are entombed in an, a, a sarcophagus of concrete, of responsibility. At the end of the day, their take home is less than I make in my jammies at home playing with my kids. And so if you think about your agency business versus freelance, the profit margin on freelancer is just their time. And it could be 98% profit as far as the service cost and the license cost. It's just like time versus an agency. You got the whole gambit of stuff, right? The offices, the insurance, the unemployment, the, you know, the hassles, the politics, the blah, 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 and all those people relying on you. And as the next story points out, like in today's world, not being agile is oftentimes a disadvantage if at the, at the end of a hundred person agency with $20 million a month of revenue, you take home $120,000 as the owner. And yet you're responsible for all that. Like, forget about it. It's not worth it. Just stick with the original. So we've got a couple of stories about our strange circumstance that we're all finding ourselves in. Um, I thought I found some that gave some. So we've got um, the first story is Tom, how do you pronounce it? Kochoto? Kochoto. Spent 19 years building a restaurant empire and the virus gutted it in a month. And then... Union state officials criticise Amazon for fine strike leader. What did you get from these two stories then, Spencer? Well, on the restaurant one, I think the takeaway, although you read the comments always, right, in a medium especially, <laughs> we have a situation where nobody could have predicted the severity of this thing, but even in Chicago or even especially in Chicago, same thing. It's just it was a nuclear winter to the restaurant industry as of today. Now, my own stoic attitude having been around for a while and seeing these things is that yeah it's nuked pretty much everybody who's on the landscape but as soon as this is over those daisies are going to pop up like crazy it just levels the excuse me it levels the playing field for 
now you've got like businesses that went away. So new ones from different people, younger people, whatever come up. But the takeaway from that story that I really thought was appropriate was without being directly political, Thankfully, when we shake the snow globe up in any crisis, and I've been through five of them, one a decade at least, that it reveals what's wrong with the way we're acting and doing things as a society, as a country, politically, and the government. And although you may argue with big government versus small government, it's clearly true that capitalism is awesome, but that it lost its way into a sort of 1980s cocaine-drinking hooker binge of shareholder value at the expense of everything else and you know corporate first over people it's like um, it's like an american psycho or Merson. It's american psycho <laughs> and this reveal, like literally christian bale having a hallucination of what the hell is real because here the problem is you couldn't have avoided the coronavirus well you could have maybe but arguably even if the coronavirus are hit it's the ability for there to be no structure in place to organize the response, the protection, and to protect the people in the middle who are doing the work. Like if we had the the healthcare, if we had the insurance, if we had the protection of wages, we could have saved so much time and effort. So the only benefit we can take from this shaking up of the snow globe is, and humans aren't like that, but at least there'll be like a blip of like doing this. At least for the couple years following this, Let's prepare for the next time yeah. by putting these things in place. Now that we know it's a disaster, let's rebuild this nuclear wasteland of the restaurant and other industries in a way that doesn't allow this to happen. As far as the Amazon thing, my take on that is it also reveals, <clears throat> I have not lost my love for Amazon, but it also reveals just like Andrew Carnegie with the railroads and monopolies of the turn of the century. That there's no fucking way that you can allow companies like Apple and Google and Amazon to be unchecked with paying no taxes, <clears throat> screwing over the workers. Right now, the fact that they're not stepping up and just bumping everybody's raise 20% who's still working for them and not putting in place like some kind of centralized corona testing. Like Bezos could buy anything in the world right now. If he would spend 5% of the extra 100% bump in sales they're making on this to protect the people working for him problem solved instead it's like seriously like you own the world now and you're not stepping up to just provide i have um i have i've I've consistently criticized amazon and bezo um part of it is just out of jest because he looks to me he looks so much like a bond figure you know i just see him with the white cat every time i see him i just see the bond villain but i gotta say my patience with him and amazon are at an all-time low i hardly order anything from them anymore I, 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 um, I really try and avoid ordering from them because my patience with them and they're disastrous disastrous um, you know, in, integration with the media and with PR or with any kind of sensible management attitude is so elementally lacking, so obviously lacking in any in any way, shape, or form that I've just lost patience with. Well, it's me. like Walmart versus Costco, right? Walmart. Yes. Sam Walton may have been a good guy, but he ran a notoriously 
bad work environment. And even to this day, when you compare the satisfaction of Costco workers and so forth, now Costco is dealing with some issues with COVID too, but the idea is that Walmart and the environment, the conditions are, are patently obvious. The problem is Walmart's business strategy was to put these places where they're the only store in town, crush all the local stores, and then there's nobody who can escape that gauntlet anyway. Costco does the opposite, which is they only go into places that are sophisticated urban environments for the most part, where people have lots of choices and they make it the best place in the world to work. But Amazon has a real, in my mind, bad actor problem right now. I disagree with you with regard to, I can't imagine the COVID-19 sequestering without having access to Amazon right now. I mean, I just can't imagine it. At the same time, the problem is a Bezos and a management problem and a shareholder problem. It's just wrong that the governments aren't forcing the War Production Act onto Amazon right now. I mean, they should have done it on all the corporations earlier, including GM. But come on, you got to pay taxes. You got to use your industry, your delivery, all that stuff for delivering centralized you know, medical services to all the hospitals and doctors. Amazon's already the best delivery system in the world, and they have the best management. Force it on them. Why? Because you've been sucking for free the nipple of American taxpayers for all these years with literally paying zero taxes. And we can't have this in the future. That's the point. They're not going to go out of business. They own the world already. They won, like Microsoft in the 90s. So the point of the two stories consistently to me is, look, <clears throat> we got to get through this. The corporations and the everybody's being, they're being called out now for what they're doing, including with this relief act. They're saying, look, I hope they enforce it. You're not going to be able to pay back your dividends or buy back your stock like you douchebags did in the last time we bailed you out. But at the same time, I think after the smoke clears, there needs to be an oversight that says, look, sorry, even if you had a lobbyist, you're no longer allowed to make a trillion dollars and not pay taxes. And you need systems in place that you agree when that red warning alert comes on the next time. You've got the warehouses filled with masks. You've got like all the supplies and you're in charge Amazon of rolling all that shit out for everybody. Like, that's your job. If we don't do that, the next time around, it's going to be worse. Because what if this was like Ebola? And unlike this being bad, like Ebola, it was- I think you just hit it. your ears in five seconds. You, you, know? you, just, you just hit it on the nail there. This is, this is very serious. But compared to some diseases, like, you know, we've been, ex it, it could be- a I mean, fifty percent death rate upon contact. Like, done. You get it. You're done. Like, this is bad. But in my mind, the world is an interesting place. Whether we're all living in a, you know, artificial VR world, like Elon Musk says, this is a preview. In my mind, designed to shake. Well, up he's another. He's another one because obviously he's got the mega factory up in um, northern Reno, and um, he's got this massive mega factory, and he's made. Right. workers work there and, and some of them have got sick so he's named to some extent even though they're providing a lot of money and you know um, in, in some ways Reno's become uh, uh, you know a Tesla town you know to some extent um, his name's not his name's not worth that much if you come to I mean, he's, got his, he's got his own issues too, because, you know, the problem is when nobody is held to accountable or to task and the lobbyists and they have so much money, it becomes like the supervillain, right? Whether I don't think Elon Musk is a villain. I think he's a savior to humanity in many ways, but he has the power, just like Bill Gates did when he yeah. wielded it, 
it, Bill Gates is more altruistic, but not really like super. Look at Warren Buffett. I mean, no offense to Warren Buffett. He does an amazing amount of giving away his money. But like he now owns the world too because he's got $187 trillion. He can buy all the companies in the world and own it. Or he could also take all his money and just take charge right now and say like, I'm going to single-handedly fund the solving of this problem. But you notice that none of them ever do that. And the reason is because at our fundamental nature, we are all humans and have those instincts, right? Nobody literally ever steps up and says, I'm going to fix all the problems for everyone. So what we have to do as a society and as a humankind is say, okay, all of us groundlings have to demand to our own little extent, these are the things that really are a requirement. And, and Adrian brought it up before, but I want to just emphasize <clears throat> the biggest thing that we all can do the genie is out of the bottle for all the corporate workers who were told before, oh, you can't work from home. That could never possibly work. How could it possibly work that you don't schlep into the office five hours every day and get your you know, babysitter to take care of your kids? It's like, good luck putting that one back in the bottle. And good luck telling uh, the people in Congress and otherwise that like, oh, universal health care isn't really important. I mean, like right now, if you go to the hospital to have a corona test, you might bankrupt yourself. I mean, that's... If you could get one. I thought I was going down and I went to my local clinic and I have, I've cost me a fortune. I have very good medical cover, but it costs me a fortune. And they come out and they said, stay in the car, stay in the car, go around the back. And then she comes in a full hazard outfit. And then the first thing she tells me is, well, you're not sick enough for us to do the test. Right. Right, you've got to be dying, and then we do the test just to confirm that you're going to die. <laughs> I mean, the obvious problem there is back to the original Amazon and the other billionaires. Like, the other countries that are smaller, Singapore, Korea, and so forth, they made a priority, and everybody gets tested and tracked because that was their decision on how to solve the problem. Here, we've had this middleman capitalism problem. The makers of the masks, for example, are doing their bad actor part because instead of controlling their supply chain and going only to medical professionals and hospitals in the U.S., they're giving it to their retailers who are then selling it like black market biggest bidder to other countries or governors. And then you yeah, got this Just finish off. Let's, 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 let's see what, how socialist Canada is dealing with this. Right. Then. So right. as, as a Canadian outside the bubble a little bit, how, how, do, how do you think Canada's dealing with the plague? And secondly, as a, slightly as an outsider, how, how do you view this? And we'll wrap it up, Adrian. Uh, well, Canada's taking a proactive... Ontario, uh, where I am, is taking a very proactive approach uh, they're announcing projections and numbers to how many people they actually think are going to be affected by this long term. Uh, something that even the federal government isn't even can, ready to can do you yet. Actually get a test. Pardon? Yeah, can you, you can get a test. Uh, you do. You have to exhibit symptoms in order to warrant it. I mean, we have universal health care here, so you don't have to pay for it, but you do have to be like exhibiting symptoms. And usually, what they—I mean—the recommendation is that if you have symptoms, don't mm-hmm. come to the hospital. Stay right. home. If it's really bad, we have a number. It's called nine one one. You can call it, right? So that's uh, that's pretty much how how we're dealing with it. We're, but it's pretty proactive, and I don't I don't feel like my life is in imminent danger, or that I'm going to have to go bankrupt. So I'm all for universal health care, and I'm all for Amazon paying taxes. Okay, so we're going to wrap it up. I haven't got a recommendation. Have you got any of you two got any recommendations to the listeners and viewers? Expertselementor.com. 
is anybody who's a freelancer and works with Elementor, they created this new, uh, I guess it's an experts arena. You can make a profile for free and for whatever it's worth, you can see your pretty picture there. I don't know if you'll ever get any business from it because I don't really think these things work, but it was interesting uh, if you want it as a standing of, uh, you know, am I registered and licensed as somebody who knows how to use Elementor? Sure. Um, I, I feel these job boards are useful to a certain extent, but they become kind of like a red light district of, you know, who's the prettiest uh, hooker of the day. Well, I've got a recommendation, actually. I'm going to put all your recommendations into chat. Um, I've got one here. I was a little bit wondering if I should do it. Um, it enables you to do animation on your web pages really simply. It's called Lottie Files. I think that's how you pronounce it. Oh, yeah, you got that from me. Uh, and, um, but please, please use it sparingly, listeners. <laughs> please don't go out there. The new Adobe Flash. Don't put your animations on every page, every button, every footer, put a separate animation. You will not be doing yourselves or your clients any favors. So I have. I have given you power, but with power comes responsibility, listeners and viewers. Um, Adrian, have you, have you got anything you want to recommend? Uh, I'm working on a new project. Ooh. It is going to be email marketing related. Well, it would have to be. You are the email <laughs> automation man, aren't you? And uh, it should be ready. By the end of this month. Is this one of those things that John and I have been hinting that we'd like you to build, or is this something unrelated? Or you just go to uh, you hint a lot of things, so that's it could very well be. Um, <laughs> and uh, it is going to be a software as a service product. And uh, that should be coming out shortly. So I'm just gonna drop a I'm just gonna drop some uh, some feelers there and uh, create some suspense. That's all right. We wait, we wait in hasted breath to find out more. Well, thanks. So, um, Spencer, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Right. Uh, you can find me at launchflows.com or you can go to the Facebook group at groups slash launchflows where any, anything you need to know about marketing automation, WordPress membership sites, and especially WooCommerce sales funnels. Uh, lots of free information and advice. So if you're stuck, just come on over there and say hi and ask a question. Adrian, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Uh, if you need help with marketing automation, email marketing, building sales funnels, and uh, having launch flows be more powerful, then you can go to groundhogwith2gs.io to find out uh, how you can download our free plugin and uh, maybe buy some add-ons as well and get expert help in creating your digital marketing strategy. And if you want to support the show, um, go to the WP Tonic website, sign up for our monthly newsletter. I revamped it considerably. It's got a, it's a lot more focused on WordPress, e-learning. It's got all the leading um, um, things that we recommend during the Friday show. You get a list of those. And I'm going to choose something. I should have chosen before this show and I forgot. So, but it will be next Friday. The first winner of our prize, our monthly prize, will be announced 
Nick's right, you definitely. I've just been a lazy bugger and I forgot to do it. So I've got to contact somebody and see if they want the prize first. Blah, blah, blah. So, but it will be announced tomorrow, uh, next Friday. And um, like I say, join the tribe, sign up for the newsletter. It's going to be great. We'll see you next week, folks, with another roundtable show. See you soon, folks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the WP Tonic Podcast, the podcast that gives you a dose of WordPress medicine twice a week.